Romans chapter 15, uh, we're going to read verses 8 through 13. God's word says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us in your word. Please now open up our minds and our hearts and our eyes and our ears and our lives to what you choose to do in us through your word. And this blessing in the final verse is our prayer this morning. You are the God of hope. Please fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This passage that we encounter today will teach us about the benefits of belief and hopefully, prayerfully, will awaken belief in us And we'll experience fullness of joy and peace and abundance of hope in the process. But let's start from the beginning in verse 8. Verse 8 says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, meaning the Jewish people, Israel, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So what Paul is doing here, what God is doing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through Paul, is he's, he's sort of explaining himself. He's explaining why he has done things the way he has done them with Jesus through the Jewish people, through Israel. And he's explaining why he did it this way, you know, focusing on his special people, Israel, and then opening it up in this mystery that Paul has been explaining to the Gentiles to bring them in. He's explaining why he's done these things. And what's interesting is he didn't just send Christ to become a servant to the circumcised to accomplish something. He didn't just send Jesus to serve the circumcised to accomplish their salvation or our salvation. He didn't just do it in order to cleanse them and sanctify them and and to give them hope. He did it to show something. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to show, to show something about God. He's wanting to display something. So God's priority isn't only that we receive his ministry and we're changed by it, but also that we see certain things about him. 
that we observe, that we take in through our eyes certain characteristics of his. Primarily here, he's referring to his truthfulness. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. That word truthfulness just means true to reality. Um, That God is what accords with reality. True to fact. Now, we're all here. We all remembered to set our clocks and to be here on time. I expect stragglers to come in at any moment wondering what's going on. Now, if you don't set your clock by what is true to the reality of what time it is, your whole life gets off. Your whole life gets off track. God is what is true. If we set our lives by anything other than God, our whole lives get off track. And it's a confusing age when there's many teachers and there's many people who say, this is the way reality is. God wants you to see his truthfulness. God wants you to know that he is true. He is true to reality. I have known people who started off caring about God's word, wanting to read God's word, wanting to follow Jesus. They started off in church, in Bible-believing churches, who have been slowly shifted away by listening to other teachers that pulled them out of here into other ideas. And I see the shipwreck that's becoming of their lives because they've forgotten what's true. God is true. And he wants you to know it. He wants you to see it. He wants you to to show you his truthfulness. He wants to confirm his promises. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness and in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. This word confirm is like um, testing to be sure. His promises are sure. And we can know that they are sure by seeing the way he has fulfilled all of his promises throughout the Old Testament, all of his promises to the patriarchs, all the prophecies through the prophets. He confirmed them. They are true. Some of you know that I have a house in Albemarle where we lived before we moved up here. And that house has a porch, a side porch. And that side porch, some of the boards are sure and you can walk on them with confidence. Some of the boards are not so sure. And your confidence wanes a little bit when you step on them because they sink. This word confirm is like testing the flooring to make sure it's firm under your feet. You can know that the ground is firm under your feet when you stand on God's promises because he's gone through great lengths to confirm them, including the ones he made through the patriarchs about the Messiah. When Jesus came, it's like he was jumping on the board saying, it's true, it's true, you can trust God's promises. One of the promises that's meant a lot to me over the years is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I know I've shared this with many of you many times. It's the one that Meredith had engraved on my watch um, a long time ago before we were married. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 promises that if you'll trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding, and if you'll acknowledge him in all your ways, he'll direct your paths. He'll make your paths straight. And that promise has proven true. 
You know, I, I can look back and, and where I have not leaned on my understanding, where I have trusted the Lord, where I have tried to acknowledge him in my ways and in my decision making. I didn't know it at the time, but I look back and see just a straight path to right where I am right now. The way I came to be your pastor at Doolin's Grove wasn't by my leaning on my understanding. I had decided in my understanding that I didn't want to be a vocational minister. I didn't want to be paid. Some of you are like, well, we can arrange that. I wanted to be just a regular Joe, but a devoted Christian. I, I wanted to just provide for my family somehow and be very involved in a church body, but just as a lay person. And it was working out pretty good. But uh, several years ago, I guess probably about five years ago now, through a whole variety of circumstances, this promise of God's proved true for me. And he gave me this straight path to be able to do what I'm doing right now, which is just unbelievable. God's promises are sure. They're certain. Part of the reason God has done what he has done, the way he has done it with Jesus, sending him first to Israel, and then, as we're about to see, opening things up to the Gentiles in a, in a big way, wasn't just to save his people. It was so that his people would know and see that he is true and his promises are sure. Those things aren't just realities. Those are realities that he wants us to know. He wants us to see this. He, he wants you to know it this morning. God is true. His promises are sure. Now, why, why did he... Let me rephrase that. There's a third reason why he did things the way he did them. He wanted his people to know that he was true and know that his promises were sure. And then in verse 9, he gives us a third reason. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. He wanted the Gentiles to worship him. Now, we're all Gentiles in here, as far as I know. He wants us to glorify him in light of his mercy. Part of the reason he did things the way he did them with Israel and, and the Gentiles is so that the Gentiles would worship, would glorify him because of his mercy. I use movie illustrations to no avail, and here I go again. Surely you've seen Indiana Jones. Okay, Judy's always with me. Indiana Jones, he has a whip. When I was a kid, I thought Indiana Jones was awesome. And at some point, I got a whip from a flea market. Like, not a cool one like his. I don't know what his was made out of. But this was just made out of, I don't know what it was made out of either, actually. And I tried to figure out how to use that whip to make it, you know, snap. I don't know whip terminology, but, you know, you do it right and it, it snaps. So you, you have to sort of fling it and whip it back and, and the payoff is the snap. Well, the Gentiles being brought in is sort of the snap of what God is doing. He has for all of history been working through his people Israel. And then suddenly this mystery is revealed, snap, and all families of the earth benefit from Jesus Christ. Glory, worship, snaps at us being brought in. So he doesn't just want to bless you and 
save you and forgive you. He wants you to see through all that that he is true, his promises are sure, and he wants you to glorify him. To glorify means to ascribe weight to him, to recognize and respond to his weightiness. For him to have the appropriate weight in your life. That's what he's after. He's not after light Christian religion. We cannot treat him lightly and think that he is pleased. That's not what this has all been about. This has been about him gathering a people to glorify him. So we can't come to church and go home and him just be sort of a knickknack in our lives and call that Christianity. That's not what it is. It's us, our eyes, our hearts being open to the truth that he is central, that he is everything. He is the most weighty presence in our lives. That's glorifying God, recognizing that he is the most weighty, the most real presence in our lives. If a mouse came running through here, what would you do? Some of you ladies would jump up on the pew. Some of you men might jump up on the pew and squeal. Okay, so if a mouse runs in this door, and I see it, and I say, ladies and gentlemen, there's a mouse running in, you would have a certain reaction. And then while we're looking at that, if a lion runs in that door, what? what? You, would, you would push Marie toward the lion so you, to buy yourself time? Lee Jones. Mouse is running in this way. Lion's running in this way. What is the most, the weightiest presence in the room in that moment? Yeah, who cares about the mouse? There is a lion in the room. What, what God is up to is presenting himself, showing himself, displaying himself as the most weighty presence in the room, the most weighty presence in reality, the most glorious presence in reality. He is the lion in the room. And to, to sit and disregard him, to pay more attention to the, mou- the mouse, is to miss the whole point. His purpose for you and for me is to glorify him. It's, it's different. There, there's a difference between attendance and worship. There's a difference between participation and, and devotion. It's a big difference. Yeah, attendance and participation is, is light. It's weightless. It's gloryless. We were talking about that on the way home from watching a movie the other day. Yeah, I, here I go with movies again. It's, all, it's what I know. But if you watch any movies, you know that the special effects are different now. You know, it used to be back in the old Indiana Jones days, maybe it wasn't Harrison Ford, but it was somebody doing those stunts. And it, it, it looked real, and there was weight to it. And now it's all computer animated, and it just looks weightless and lifeless, and it, who cares? See, a lot of our church, we have so many programs, it's, it's like computer animation. It's just weightless and lifeless, and who cares? Where's the reality, the glory, the real weight of what we're about? That's, that's the point. That's what God is getting at with us. 
So he's done things the way he has done them with Israel and the Gentiles to show, to display his truthfulness, to confirm his promises, so that the Gentiles, us, that we might glorify him for his mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And if you've been with us through Romans, you're aware of what we deserve. We don't deserve forgiveness and adoption as sons and daughters and new life and Holy Spirit and uh, supernatural enabling to worship and serve as the church and, and eternal life in the presence of God. And we don't deserve all that. What we deserve is eternal separation from God. That's what we've chosen with our sin. But praise God for mercy. Glorify God for his mercy. In the next verses, Paul bounces around the Old Testament giving examples of how this was always the way God was going to do it. So he takes us through 2 Samuel and Psalms and Deuteronomy and Psalms again and Isaiah. And I just want to read these verses to you that he quotes from the Old Testament. Starting in the uh, last half of verse 9. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him, in him will the Gentiles hope. And this word hope seems to springboard him into this blessing or this benediction or, or almost a prayer in verse 13. Now I want to close our time focusing on verse 13, which says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Just a few simple Observations I want you to notice in verse 13 as we draw things together here. He is the God of hope. Our God is the God of hope. Because he is true, because his promises have always been, are always confirmed, we can have hope. Hope is certainty about what's to come. Hope is, I only have one illustration for this, and I use it every time. Hope is the hope you have at nighttime that the sun is going to rise. It is going to happen. Not lottery hope. Oh, I hope I win. God is the God of certain hope, not, oh, I hope so, hope. You with me? Difference? Because he's the God of hope, we can, we can have joy and peace in the meantime. That's what promises are about. Promises are, are about the meantime, the, the in-between. You know, this morning, I'm scarfing down my breakfast trying to remember everything for this morning, and Lillian comes to me wanting breakfast. And I say, I'll, I'll get it for you in just a minute, sweetheart. That's, that's a little promise that I threw out there. A minute passes, another minute passes, 
another minute passes. I'm still absorbed in what I'm doing and trying to get ready to come. And she comes back again, asking again for breakfast. In just a minute, sweetheart. Well, those are empty promises. But see, God doesn't just throw out empty promises like that. If I were more godly, my, in just a minute, sweetheart, would be final and sure and certain, and she would know, okay, I I can withstand this hunger for a couple of minutes because I know that my daddy's promises are sure, and he said he was going to do it. But my track record isn't quite the same as God's. Therefore, she comes back again and again, sees that I'm still absorbed in this, and asks again and again because I have failed her many times. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't fail us. He, his promises are sure. They are confirmed. So in the meantime, we can have hope. We can last. We can endure. We can know. We can know with certainty that he's going to fulfill his word. So we can know, you, know, you anxious people, any anxious people out here? We can know that he means what he says when he says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We can know that he means what he says when when he says, don't be anxious for nothing, but pray and, and the peace of God which surpasses your understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. We can know that that's true. That famous one we went through in Romans 8, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. You know, we studied all that, and we saw that what God means is every little aspect of your life, he is going to compose together in this beautiful symphony of making you look like Jesus. That's what that promise means. You can know that that is true. It may not feel true. You may, the meantime, before you see any of that taking place, it may stretch out. It may seem like it's taking forever, but it's true. Because God is true, and his promises are sure. So, God is the God of hope. Second thing I want you to notice in this prayer in verse 13, he will fill you with all joy and peace in believing. He will fill you with all joy and peace in believing. You know, de- depression and anxiety are the two big emotional plagues of our day. Joy and peace are severely lacking and people desire them above all. God will fill you with joy and peace in believing. There is no joy apart from believing. There is no peace apart from believing. You can find distraction. You can find medication but you won't be filled with it. But in believing, in being persuaded, in looking at God and who he is and how his track record is immaculate and how true he is and how his promises are sure, in seeing that and considering that and digesting that and responding with belief, being persuaded by that to trust, in believing, he will fill you with joy, all joy and peace. He's the God of hope. He will fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And the last thing I just want to point out, he will empower you to abound in hope. 
by the Holy Spirit. Now, remember when we studied through Philippians and we got to that passage where it said, uh, don't be anxious for anything, but through prayer and supplication, make your request known. And uh, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I'm sure that's a horrible quotation, probably full of error. I remember when we studied that, I was surprised to find that it's, it's not as though God, when you come to him in prayer, that he hands you this special ointment of peace and you get it and you rub it on and you feel better. There's no tangible exchange of peace. It's not a tangible good that he gives you. He doesn't bump up your IV of peace units. Instead, as you go to him in prayer and you give him these things, his peace protects your heart and mind. It, he, the fact that he is at peace brings you to peace. As you look at your father and you see, well, he's good and he's got it all under control and he's not freaked out. And this sort of supernatural thing takes place and you, you gain hope. The last thing I want to point out to you is that this hope that we gain by looking at God and what he has done through Christ, through the Israelites and through the Gentiles and through the Old Testament and through all his promises and all these things, looking at all that and coming to him in prayer, it's a supernatural thing that takes place. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, as he says here in verse 13, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. If we are to abound in hope, to to exceed the expected measure of hope, for it to just be pouring out of us. It's going to be Holy Spirit empowered. It's going to be supernatural. And maybe that's why Paul, at, at the end of this train of thought, turns to a bit of a prayer here. So the way I would like to close out our time in this passage is with prayer. And I'll ask Matt to come and play. And I'm just going to give us, kind of like last week, just give us some time to pray. And, and in your insert, again, is this verse 13 sort of rewritten as a prayer if you want to use that to inform your praying. You can be full of joy and peace and abound in hope in believing in the true God whose promises are sure. So if you would, if you would bow with me, we're going to have just a stretch of time to pray. Father, we confess together that you are truthful and that your promises have been confirmed. 
we confess together that you are the God of hope. And we come to you now with one mind, your people, and we ask you, please fill us with all joy and peace in believing. Help us to see you and remember you and who you are and all the things we know to be true about you and believe. Particularly those who are eaten up with darkness and depression and anxiety. Or may a shaft of light shine down into their hearts and their lives right now as they remember who you are. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we all abound in hope. In Jesus' name, amen.